Hi, and welcome to the Human Side of Business podcast. I'm Angie Cabe, CEO and co-founder of Intuity Performance. I'm a performance coach, HR professional, whole person leadership facilitator, and your host. The Human Side of Business podcast is fueled by the genuine curiosity to understand how personal characteristics and skills can be leveraged to drive individual and team performance, tangible outcomes, and ultimately organizational success within business. Each podcast is devoted to sharing knowledge, expanding our learning edges, and exploring the trends in corporate culture towards growing the emotional intelligence of organizations. I'm so glad you're here. For the Los Angeles City Attorney's Office to, um, you know, couples. (laughs) That's amazing. To restorative practices in the social setting to facilitating, you know, difficult groups. It's, It's all over the place. Right, right. But it it's really interesting when it comes to mediation and conflict that it's a, it's a beautiful model where it can be subscribed to many areas or prescribed, I should say. Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah, Definitely. for sure. Yeah. It has so, so much potential, so much potential. And, and I can see that you're passionate about it too. What, <laughs> just out of curiosity, what, what prompted you to go into the depths of mediation and coaching in such a broad spectrum from, I think you had said from uh, a policing background all the way up to families and individuals. Right, right. Um, well, when people ask me how I got into it, they're usually pretty, pretty stunned by the answer. And that is uh, about a dozen or so years ago, I went through a really bad divorce. Mm, and um, my brother, who's an educator, uh, sent me this. Uh, article on something called transformative mediation out of Hofstra University. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said, this is a way that people are communicating about difficult things without beating each other up. Exactly. And anybody that's been in a court process knows that it is so acrimonious. It is set up to win, lose. Yes. It is a, you know, uh, just a process that keeps elevating the conflict, which is breaking relationships. I mean, I experienced all that. So I went to Hofstra and leaned into that and then decided that I wanted to try with the rest of my time uh, to help people learn. What I learned was that we haven't learned how to do conflict. Mm. And the tools that I was learning um, were fascinating to me. It's not that hard. We have to relearn our reactions instead of responding. But who learns these things? Like almost no one learns <laughs> ways to communicate because we're, yeah, usually trying to defend ourselves and mm-hmm. hunker down and all the things that are our biological reactions. So my biology with nursing combined with the psychology background combined Oof. with, I went on for a master's degree in conflict management. Mm-hmm. And the more I learn, the more I know there is to learn, which is just fascinating to me. There's an infinite number of tools to help us mitigate for conflict, including our own internal conflict. And that's, that sounds hopeful to me. Like that's like hope, hope for, hope for families, hope for Mm -hmm. couples, ultimately hope for hopefully communities and the world. Like in my head, if we can learn to do conflict better, there's hope for peace. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And your, your passion, Kimberly, we need so many more of you in this world. So I, I want to say thank you even before we get started. <laughs> you might want to use this whole part somewhere in there because it was good and I don't think I can redo it. But <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And so kind of jumping in, everyone, I want to um, introduce to you our expert guest, Kimberly Best. Um, she, as she had mentioned, is an RN and MA. Uh, she's also a Tennessee Rule 31 listed civil mediator and Tennessee Rule 31 trained family mediator. And her practice, Best Conflict Solutions, really focuses on family mediation, health and elder care um, mediation, as well as civil and business mediation and conflict coaching. So anything to do with conflict Kimberly has you is what I'm hearing so far and is passionate about the same. So I can't wait to dive in. There's so many different areas that we could talk about this. Maybe need a part two, um, <laughs> but here Probably. we go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm super excited to be here. Thank you so much. And thank you for the work that you do too. Thank you. I appreciate you. So take us a little bit further down the line. What is your thought process around conflict and how it can turn into conversations versus actual conflict. Yeah. So first of all, I want to normalize conflict. Mm. Um, a lot of people think that it's a bad sign if we have conflict, but it's not. Conflict is normal. Yeah. It's normal to the extent that even our cells are in conflict. It's a biological thing. And it means there's a problem to solve. Right. And that problem could involve growth or it could involve that you accidentally stepped on my toes and I have needs that need to be met or whatever those are. But what we do in conflict without knowing how to handle it better is we take it on, we wear it and we defend ourselves mm. um, from that. So I think if we learn how to do conflict better by recognizing and identifying what the problem to solve is instead of making the person, the problem. Mm. Um, so <laughs> it's the person who works next to me that is the problem when in reality, maybe they talk too much and that's what the problem is. We can't solve for people, but we can solve problems. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, it's just, uh, I, I really do enjoy the puzzle of and the options to resolving conflict, which again is normal. And And what I'm hearing is, at its roots, as soon as we have a feeling that we dislike arise, whether it be anywhere from frustration to anger to sadness to shame, guilt, whatever, it's an uncomfortable feeling. That's a signal to say, what do I need? Not so much as to say, why is this person doing what they're doing to me? Yeah. Not only what do I need, but what's going on inside of me? Because mm -hmm. often that's something, our reactions are almost always triggered by something in our past. Yeah. They have very little to do with what's going on now. And by the way, I want to make you an honorary mediator because you started off with what I'm hearing. <laughs> <laughs> the, the reframing of that is, is really, really a powerful, even it conflict is. tool to make sure that you understand what somebody else is saying, because we jump to conclusions really fast. And that's one of the first things that gets us into trouble in conversations is 
is you say cat and I picture some black thing with fangs and really you mean some, you mean some, you know, little fluffy black cat that's all, <laughs> you know, we just, even words make a difference. So mm-hmm. the clarifying of that is, is an art and yeah, we, we all should probably learn that. Definitely because it's holding space to ensure that you're being heard and listened to. And, and that's a primary principle. Um, you know, I always think about things from the place of GG, greater good. Uh, and, and that definitely is a deeper listening skill to have because you're absolutely correct. And one thing that came out from a place of pure curiosity, I don't know if we're going to solve the problems of Rome today, Kimberly, but I don't know, maybe between the two of us, we can. Um, what type of societal norms has normalized us to go to a reactive or responsive place versus that place of problem solving or curiosity? In your oh, what a fantastic question. So um, there's always more than one answer. Of course. But one of the things I would postulate for us, um, well, there's a lot of things. There's a fantastic <laughs> book out right now called um, High Conflict by Amanda Ripley. Okay. It is phenomenal. And it talks about the systems that we have set up, including, let's use the example she uses in our political system. There's two parties, mainly. Mm-hmm. There's a winner and there's a loser. Mm-hmm. And when we group and we're 4-1, we become very often against the other one. We call right. that othering in my in my world. We call that othering. So if you're like me, you're good and you're all good. If you're not like me and you're in the other group, you're bad. That's the Mm -hmm. spiral that happens with that. So I think um, the fact that we have set up so many um, closed labels that we belong to, and we all need to belong, but we can expand that belonging. We all belong to the human race, Mm. right? So we don't have to limit our belonging to these smaller groups, but it's an easy, it's an easy thing to do. Like it's a tendency to do that. Mm -hmm. The other thing I think is that our culture has been in the past, at least two generations, very driven for personal exceptionalism, personal, um, you know, be all you can be. Mm. And we've lost sight of the group unless there's a big crisis like 9-11, you know, we come together for that. The other thing is that people are wired in our heads to respond more to being against something. It gets a higher emotional reaction than being for something. So we get a bit of a buzz being Mm -hmm. against something that we don't get when we're for something. And all of these things we can change if we think about it and we realize it. But I think all of those things have contributed to um, the, a bit of the polarization that we have now, not to mention social media <laughs> and, and the fact that we focus on extremes, right? Yes. So it's always the worst case of both sides that we're, we're trying to normalize when in fact it is not even close to the normal. Mm. It is extreme. So mm. um, we have a, a whole soup full of things going sideways right now. Absolutely. I, I tend to agree with you in all of those golden nuggets, I would say. There's a lot to unpack there. Focusing in a little bit further, as individuals, where do you start? Like, I, I know my own journey, and maybe I'll go on a little bit of spiel here for a second. Like, when as you're speaking, I, I kind of have a not, had a nostalgic moment where 
I remember there was a time and a place. Now, keep in mind, I have um, hypothyroidism. So there's chemical stuff that's involved here. However, I, I do believe that as humans, we have the ability and the means to identify and therefore grow. And that could be growth from an emotional intelligence perspective, a resilience perspective, um, you know, a, a calming perspective, et cetera, et cetera. So in my early 20s, I was going through a diagnosis. And as I was going through that, I would have stages or or moments of time where I could feel such an innate feeling. I didn't know what to do with myself in the sense of it being either panic or anxiety or it could be excitement or overstimulation. And so I was very athletic. So organically, some of that was okay. But then as I started growing up a little bit further, going into university and working at the same time, athletics kind of went to the sideline and I was working out at a gym. And so I could tell that I could have relief in all of that through working out at the gym, which was fantastic. But as I was sitting in my chair in an office job for seven hours out of the day, I could feel those ebbs and flows. And being really in tune with myself, I had to go through quite a process um, of diagnoses for hypothyroidism. And so with medication, it really helped clarify and kind of take some of those blinders off so I could really understand what I needed in myself or what my body was telling me. And and it was almost like a medical induced journey for me around self-awareness and emotional intelligence because I didn't like how I felt. I couldn't give a reputable response. And I'm a strong believer that my emotions or my moods aren't the responsibility of anybody else but myself, <laughs> right? And then there were still those moments of where I was kind of a bit of an asshole sometimes, part of my French, but there would just be these episodes where I would feel triggered or I'd react and then I'd be like, oh, thing again, oh my gosh. And so, you know, obviously over time, it's growing and educating and now fully understanding my responsibilities as a human and the purpose that I want to do and having more clarity in all of that. I'm a, a huge influence. I guess I have influence mentality. I wouldn't call myself an influencer, but I'm passionate about really understanding yourself, whether it be from, um, you know, uh, you know, just self-fitness perspective or mental health or medical health or whatever that is, it's our job to kind of focus on that wheel and, and figure out our whole performance self, right? And so coming full circle, what I've realized is that my body sends out signals and based on those signals, so I think this is bridging kind of like the medical side of it and physiological neuroscience side of it into emotional intelligence or how we're acting on a day-to-day basis. I can tell you my beliefs, my actions, my response mechanisms, now in comparison to 10 years ago, even five years ago, are totally different. Because, you know, it's spending time looking at myself and not blaming other people. Um, So that's a bit of a spiel that has kind of come up for me because I guess I was reflecting on past and, under the guise or the question of how do you really turn that switch? So going from that automatic autopilot stuff every single day, you know, what flags do you look for or how can you motivate yourself to really move um, and figure this type of stuff out? 
Yeah, I, I thank you for sharing your story. That was uh, th that just had so many thoughts in my head. And one of the things I was picture picturing was growth, your own journey of personal growth. And I, I, I mean, I'm 63, so I, I've come to realize that it's not it's not an end point. It's not like, oh, we get there. I, oh. I went through a, a difficult divorce at 50 and I'm like, oh my goodness, at 50, I should have this all figured out and I should be in a different place. Uh, who told me that? Like, that's a story that mm -hmm. I made up about what my life was supposed to look like. Mm -hmm. But in reality, in our lives, sometimes we're assholes, to use mm -hmm. your word, you know, <laughs> Sometimes we're, <laughs> sometimes we're triggered. Sometimes we're triggered. Sometimes we're rude. I mean, we're human. And the expectation that we're going to get it right and always say the right thing mm -hmm. and, and the expectation we put on others to do that as well. That's there's so a lot of pressure on being human, mm -hmm. but it's normal. Like the, we have to normalize the pain that is being human, the suffering that is being human. I read something today that was so beautiful. It said that pain is a reality in being mm -hmm. human. Mm -hmm. Suffering is optional. And mm -hmm. the suffering is around the story we tell ourselves, A, that mm -hmm. it shouldn't happen. Mm -hmm. Like who told you it shouldn't happen? Because it does happen. It's life. Absolutely. So you've described a process of um, maturing, and growth. And it is my belief, and I've always believed this, um, that our mission in life or one of them is a constant growth. Like mm. if we stop, I can't imagine what that life is like. Though I know we get in frozen points, right? Where I don't have to change. I don't have to grow. I don't have to anything. I've never seen anybody happy in that place, mm. you know, mm. but but it's also everything has a price. So the growing, the learning, the self-reflection, the uh, maybe I'm not as wonderful as I thought I was, you know, <laughs> all those things that can, or maybe that was on me and not someone else's fault. All of these things are beautiful in that they're true and growth. I yes. Think. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And hearing you in the sense that it's, it's the lens we're choosing to look at things at. Oftentimes yes. I've I've heard in my personal circle as well as professionally from a coaching side of things is, well, I can't because, or I reacted because. Mm -hmm. And and immediately it I, I get intrigued. Okay, so so what is that? What's what's allowing you to do that or what's getting in your way? And and oftentimes what it comes down to. I've seen, especially in the past year, is around emotional literacy and how illiterate we are as adults. And it's almost like we have these little toddlers running around in our minds, but we're expected to have this, you know, kind of veneer mask where we operate a certain way, we speak a certain way, we act a certain way, and we um, saddle up to certain people, things, or um, items from a social norm perspective. And what it really comes down to is, are my emotions or my needs being met? So are my needs being met? And if not, what needs do I need to be met? And so the biggest, I guess, epiphany that I've had, especially in the past two years, personally and professionally, is that when you're thinking about it, it's if, if anybody were to Google emotional wheel, it can range anywhere from like, 
I don't know, 40 some odd emotions all the way up to thousands of emotions. And this is what I'm talking about emotional literacy, because nine times out of 10, people can only really name seven broad emotions. And and that goes back to what we were, were talking about earlier, Kimberly, with regards to oftentimes we're pointing blame and anger when really it comes down underneath an mm. iceberg of things. And so going back to that emotional wheel to come full circle, what I've seen is that when you start to normalize it, that all of our emotions are meant to be felt and more of the question around our needs aren't being met. Therefore, I'm sad. Our needs aren't being met. Therefore, I'm angry. Our needs are being met. Therefore, I'm X, Y, Z, right? And conversely, my needs are being met and I'm happy or I'm proud or elated. And so I, I think that's what comes up for me when you're pointing to kind of the the different buckets around how we're dealing with emotions in today's world. Yeah. So I always think um, I always think we're we're feeling more than one thing at a time, you know. Mm-hmm. And we sometimes make it like if we name that one thing, but I use the language a part of me feels because um, mm. even if I feel terribly upset. For me, if I say, well, part of me is feeling terribly upset, overwhelmed, that part of me keeps it being from, from being so big um, that, Ooh, you know, I, like I that. feel overwhelmed. And it's also recognizing that somewhere inside of me, other things are going on as well. And the same with other pers- other people. You know, we stamp this one emotion on them and it's never well received because the person mm-hmm. being labeled that knows internally, intrinsically, that there's more to them than that label that they're getting stamped onto them. So Mm -hmm. um, I use a part of me and then I use for now, because I think uh, no matter how overwhelmed, how angry, how sad, how disappointed, it's always a for now. I mean, Mm -hmm. it can change after a cup of coffee, you know, it can change... (laughs) And, and we we put we freeze frame people in those moments. Well, you were this at this time, so that's mm. who you are. Mm. And so I don't know, just kind of thinking of things as a constant moving picture instead of you know stamping labels, emotions, and things on people. Um, now our brains are wired to do that. In all fairness. You know, but we have to tell ourselves there's more than that. Mm. The other thing, the last thing on needs is personally, when I discovered that the whole idea of needs not being met, I realized that learning to name and figure out what I needed was one of the most difficult things I've ever done. Absolutely. Because if you think about when we're little, nobody's caring much about your what you need. They what you think, what they think you need may be important, right? But but nobody's asking you really so much what do you need, especially emotionally. Mm-hmm. And most of us come from a place and we still do this. We're trying not to do it more in society, but emotions are scary. And we're mostly in children trying to keep them from feeling much. Yes. Yes. So we become adults who don't know what to do with the feelings. Not just that, but we are boxes stuffed full of emotion that just are ready to explode because Mm. there's so much stuffing in there. So Mm. normalizing emotion is what I hear you talking about. And it's just like normalizing conflict. It's critical. It's critical that we start realizing this is part of being human. Absolutely. Not something to be ashamed of, you know, not something to hide, something definitely to, you know, 
not blow up things with, but um, but to be able to talk about, to normalize. Because if you talk about how difficult your day, how difficult you feel, those emotions that you were describing, that you were sometimes feeling, I'm betting that everybody listening has also felt that way. Mm -hmm. We just don't talk about it. No. And it's like, oh, so maybe it's part of being human to have (laughs) these moments. Absolutely. Because I mean, on the upswing side of things, I shouldn't say the upswings, on the cup full side of things, you know, there could be days where I'm sitting on the front deck with my son and I'm just like in awe by what a beautiful day it is. And, you know, there's something that just has captured me in this split second. Um, And it's just being able to really notice a lot of the positive emotions or the things that fill you as well. Because I really like your earlier point, we're wired to notice problems, right? It's like fight, flight, freeze type stuff um, that is that goes back decades, decades, decades. Um, And so essentially, it's almost like we have to. I wouldn't say put on rose colored glasses because it's not being fake. It's it's standing in an authentic place. However, keeping in mind that your cup is always refillable. And right. when we're, we're in that mode, then it's looking for opportunities, not looking for problems. So you're prepared for, for problems. Of course, we're not, you know, we're not going to forget about that piece. But it's it's definitely looking for the opportunity. So bridging back to what you were saying earlier around conflict and it being more of a conversation, mm-hmm. help us understand a little bit further. Like, how do you switch that mindset from, you know, I, I'm in a conflict and this actually should be a conversation. We talked about needs not being met and a little bit about emotions, but but what else is there? It's so interesting because I used to have a slide when I presented on conflict that uh, had conflict and then an arrow going to opportunity Um, (laughs) because conflict is like I I wanted to normalize conflict to the extent that we say, oh, there's a conflict. There's a problem. It's an opportunity. Mm -hmm. Um, It's an opportunity to make things better. It's an opportunity to be understood more. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an opportunity to understand yourself more. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's an opportunity to create a better next step. And, um, yeah, I think it's something that, uh, you know, our, our reaction, our biology, I wrote down the word biology when you were talking, it's real, you know, we have these hormones and we have fluctuations and we have hard wiring and we have trauma responses. We have histories now there's evidence of, you know, the trauma that we carry from generations past mm-hmm. in our DNA. We're mm-hmm. complex. So picking back up the threads, you were talking about normalizing that we're complex human beings. Mm-hmm. We have physiological reactions, visceral reactions. There's biology involved. Sometimes there's generational trauma that we're carrying. And basically all of this is wound up with regards to being an adult with boxed in emotions for the most part, not, right. to, not to generalize everybody in their journey. Um, but that's a lot to really, it understand. is plus the demands of the day, our works, our families taking care of others. I mean, the complexity is just amazing to me. Mm. What we put on ourselves every single day. <laughs> I have done, I've, it's interesting. I've done uh, a bit of work in Africa and, um, yeah, very simple life is is as um 
maybe without this and to the opposite degree that we are with here in the United States. But but the folks in uh, Malawi that we work with are so much more joyful I'm, than we are. Yeah. So the the simplicity, I think the complexity versus simplicity, the complexity of our lives, it's so fast. One of my theories is, and there's there's actually uh, evidence to show this, but our growth in terms of technology and how much we have to do, um, how much we take on in any given day mm-hmm. uh, is is exceeded our ability to handle it. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. part of why we have increased depression, increased anxiety. I mean, we are on really just rat wheels right now where mm-hmm. we're having to go faster and faster just to get through a day. Mm-hmm. That's tough. Mm-hmm. So, you know, slowing down everything a little bit to take time to see yourself, to figure out what's going on inside of you, um, more than you're figuring out what's going inside of someone else. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, all those are things that kind of help us uh, reset. We have to reset. Now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And and I think, too, like bringing it back to the business world to a certain extent you're you're not leaving those personal characteristics at the door or the virtual office, right? Like we we know this now. I think we're stepping into that thought process. And building on that thought, Kimberly, I, I believe what you're really pointing at is when we start to feel that there's conflict, self-reflection is the first step, really, to unpacking it. Yeah. What am I feeling yeah. right now? How has this impacted me right now? What is it that I need out of this conversation? And also, how can I support the other person or be curious? Right. One of the biggest things that I've seen come from experienced leaders is that curiosity dips and judgment increases because they've experienced that growth. They're at a certain caliber now, which is beautiful to see in the sense of we have so many different brilliant minds around the table across North America, the world even, but I haven't been there yet. Um, but all this to say is that the curiosity window, I feel, could be a lot larger mm-hmm. instead of, well, I hired this person to do this and I don't understand why they keep coming to me with problems. Mm-hmm. Curiosity could look like, oh, wow, you know, I, I wonder what's going on with them where their cup is so full that this problem's coming up again. Could you imagine the difference, the productivity, the engagement? And nine out of 10 times, not even, I shouldn't even say nine out of 10 times, it's it's costing companies billions of dollars in turnover and retention bonuses because we're not spending the time to really understand that our humans are the biggest investments. And part of that is learning that human side of their business. So what specific skills do we need for that job? And it's not Can you type 80 words per minute or can you analyze this document in under an hour? But what soft skills, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. because I don't think there's anything soft about our human skills. (laughs) Um, Right. (laughs) Can we bring to the table, right? Yeah. I I really love that you you were talking about the questions to ask. And um, two things really stick out to me, especially in business that have things go sideways that I think if we can find a way to bridge these two things, it'll be a Mm. huge first step. The first one is people can work together for years and not know anything about the other person. 
Right. And I worked with an organization that was having a hard time retaining. And they're part of a smaller office, part of a, a larger um, system. And the upper management was always hearing how difficult it was to work with this particular branch. Um, well, in this branch, they had a lot of conflict. And one thing was the story they told themselves about the other person. I love Brene Brown's The Story We Tell Ourselves. Mm-hmm. We make up things about the other people, what motivates them, why they're doing what they do. And, and an example was um, they talked about when I met with them, people on their cell phones on Facebook. This person isn't working hard enough. They're just sitting there on their phone on Facebook. So. I asked the question, what is going on with you and the phone? And it turned out that this person's father was in the hospital to get a leg amputated. Oh, gosh. Nobody asked her, you know. So the the thing is, ask. The other thing is people thinking they know what you need Mm -hmm. instead of asking. So management especially does this a lot. Well, this office needs this, this, and this. They need this hours. They make decisions without asking people. If you want to revolt in your system, (laughs) make decisions without asking people what they need. It doesn't work. Mm -hmm. So I think the two easy things are to not make assumptions, to ask instead. If you find yourself making up a story or coming to a conclusion, substitute that by asking. It is incredible to me how asking has seemed to be even more difficult than naming our needs. Just ask someone, Mm. is this working for you? How did this impact you? How are you? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, who are you? (laughs) (laughs) Who are you outside of here? Do you have children? What do you like to do? I mean, getting to know people on a personal level Mm -hmm. is is so key for connection. Mm -hmm. That -hmm. you're not just the person I hand papers to. But I don't know, maybe as I say that, it seems like taking a moment just to be kind too. kind and curious. Your word curious is just a fantastic word. Interested mm-hmm. in substitute. Be interested in other people if you don't mm-hmm. like the word curious. Absolutely. Absolutely. I really enjoy where you're going with this, Kimberly. I think there is going to have to be a part two. Um, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love that. Before you go, though, tell us about your book that you've written, um, How to Live Forever, A Guide to Writing the Final Chapter of Your Life Story. Let's leave on that note. Oh, there you go. Because um, when people ask me what I do for a living, I say I talk about the two things that people want to talk about least, that is death and conflict. (laughs) So (laughs) that book came out of my nursing career, married to my conflict career, And um, I worked in every intensive care unit that there is, and ultimately the emergency department and trauma. And we didn't, we don't have conversations around what we want our last chapter to look like. Mm -hmm. And we never know when our last chapter is. That's, that's one thing I have learned. And um, so, so planning, being purposeful in how we live, including planning our, um, making our legal decisions, especially our healthcare decisions, relational decisions. Um, for me, we're leaving our story as our legacy. Our life is our story and we're writing it. And mm-hmm. it's okay to write that well all the way to the end. So mm-hmm. being purposeful in all of that. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. And Kimberly, how would we get a hold of a copy of your book? 
Amazon is probably the easiest, but I think, you know, most major booksellers can at least order it if they don't have it in stock. But Amazon's a quick way to get that. Amazing. And Kimberly, if anybody is looking to contact you through Best Conflict Solutions, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Yeah, bestconflictsolutions.com. It's pretty easy. Um, my email is Kim at Best Conflict Solutions. I'm easy to find on LinkedIn. If you have questions or just want to, you know, find a little bit more out about conflict or you feel like you could use some help relationally or in your organization, please reach out. I'd be happy to talk with you. That's fantastic. Okay. Thank you so much for your time today, Kimberly. Really appreciating the, the depths of conversation around conflict uh, and understanding ourselves a little bit further. I've loved, loved talking with you. Thank you very much. Okay. Take good care, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Human Side of Business podcast. I'm glad you could join us. If you enjoyed today's episode and want to stay updated with our latest content, make sure to visit our website. The link can be found in the episode description where you can subscribe to the podcast, sign up for our newsletter and learn more about our whole person leadership services. Sounds interesting? Explore the whole person leadership cohort by Intuity Performance, a unique program that offers unparalleled support to managers on every step of their leadership journey. Our program features evidence-based assessments, workbooks, group coaching, and interactive learning experiences to help you level up your leadership skills. Reach out today to apply to one of our upcoming cohorts. Until next time, take care and stay curious.